Beyond Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is happening and welcome to the Locked On Pistons podcast, your episode for Monday, July 23rd. And today we're going to be taking you back to your teenage years a little bit here if you're in my age bracket. This is your boy Matt Shook, a sports writer here in the Motor City covering the NBA for the Detroit News and the Associated Press, a Pistons fan and follower my whole life, and a sports newspaper reporter for over a decade as well. Thank you for making us part of your daily routine. Today, talking a little bit of Gus Macker basketball with Scott McNeil, the founder of the three-on-three tournaments, which were huge in the 1990s, started here in Michigan, and still continue to this day, which is something you may not have realized if you played in them back in the day as they kind of had a little bit of lull there, but are back coming on as strong as they can, and we'll get into the story of how it all went down, how it all started in the city of Belding, and uh, a basketball festival unlike any other began right here in the Great Lakes State. Also, later on, Andre Drummond is going in on one of the best teams in the NBA. We'll talk about his social media itchy trigger finger and who he is going in on on Twitter, on Instagram, the team that he has his eyes on. But speaking of Twitter and Instagram, all those good stuffs, give us a follow on Twitter, Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, another underscore after that. I also got an Instagram account. I do have one. It doesn't have much relation to the uh, podcast yet. It probably will over time as I... Put some more energy into it, but it's Matthew underscore S-C-H-O-C-H there. So that's the uh, the Instagram follow if you want to check that out. I posted a picture from our golf outing over the weekend up there. The legendary Andy Smith shooting his tee shot on uh, number five or six or something like that at Bay Harbor, which is this great hole, which on the right side has Lake Michigan, a nice little cliff down there. So it's a beautiful golf course. I recommend checking that one out. A little bit tired today. You could probably hear a little bit lost in my voice, as you would imagine, after the uh, the weekend with the, the old friends up at Boyne for the 13th annual Derelict Invitational, a bunch of my uh, Kimball High School friends and assorted others over the years. We went to Boyne this year for, like I said, played Har- Bay, Har- Bay Harbor on Sunday morning among the courses. Good for the soul, those kind of weekends in a lot of ways, especially some of those holes that wrap around Lake Michigan. Uh, great to be back in our great state and really taking advantage of it, doing all those Michigan things that you can't do anywhere else in the world. Hearty congratulations to Matt Atami, my friend who wrapped up his third jacket over the weekend. I believe that ties him with Paul for the overall lead in jackets, the legendary Paul Falcon, of course. Um, California Paul Falcon is uh, is what we refer to him these days. Don't quote me on that as far as the, the history of who has the most jackets, but uh, a good time had by all. I'm not a golfer. Um, but even fun for guys like me who are shooting in the 100s at these rounds. You hit a good shot like every couple few holes and end up with a handful of pars over the weekends. No birdies for the for me this year, sadly. But uh, I recommend Boyne if you're looking for a, a, an outing with the friends or even take the family up there for, for a weekend this summer or even this winter with the skiing. I'm sure, like I said, I think, I think it's more known for its skiing over the years that Boyne is, but it's the golfing is good too. And they got the Snowflake Lounge with the Jelly Donut Shots. For some reason, we took a bunch of those because we thought it was funny. And and um, our buddy Scott definitely made his presence felt at the bar there on the dance floor. So uh, I'm sure they'll be talking about that if you guys go up there and visit yourselves. I heard great things about the Avalanche Water Park they got there too for the kids, so check that out. But And how about Tiger Tiger Woods over the weekend making a run at Carnoustie? Almost the history we've all kind of been waiting for as maybe the sports fans who only really check in on golf when it's something big. And obviously the return of Tiger Woods to contention in majors is a big deal. 
So maybe we're back on board that maybe he does win another major someday. Looking forward to checking him out at the PGA in a month or so. Tiger Woods, golfing with my old friends, the music we were playing in the car on the way there, all that stuff got me thinking about the teenage years a little bit lately. And that's what we're going to go back today for our interview. Scott McNeil founded the Gus Macker Tournament 45 years ago this, uh, this year in a driveway in Lowell, Michigan with his friends. This thing blew up into a national phenomenon. And I want to hear from you guys. Did you play in Gus Macker tournaments growing up? Do you still play now? Do your kids play? Uh, what's your relationship with the Gus Macker tournament like? I played at Oakland University, I believe, two or three years. Uh, Lapeer once as well. The indoor one in Dearborn uh, once. I also played some uh, non-Macker three-on-threes, one at Madison High School where we put a co-ed team together with a buddy of mine and two girls that were not only cute girls but were also good at hoops back at that time too. And we took out some guys' teams, and it was good to see the faces of four guys' teams that lost to a couple girls in a four-on-four tournament. We also played one round ball event. uh, I think it was called round ball at at the Silverdome, which they pulled up the Lions turf and played on the hard surface there. And really not very hard to believe uh, all those injuries that happened at the Silverdome, knowing that the turf was just on top of that hard surface there. Kajana Carter's career lasted like five minutes before the Silverdome ate his knee up in a preseason game, and there should be like a class action lawsuit against the Silverdome for that. But we're going to go back and talk about all those Gus Macker tournaments up next with Scott McNeil, uh, the founder of the Gus Macker tournaments of the three-on-three craze. But if you guys, you've heard me talk about advertising, and we're going to be looking for more now that I'm back in Detroit. If your company wants to reach that key demo of men between the ages of 18 to 44, provincial Pistons fans that maybe have ties to Metro Detroit and interest in spending their dollars locally, you should be definitely sponsoring this podcast. 98% men and 80% of those between the ages of 18 to 44, a good amount of dedicated listeners. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and give me an email at Matt underscore shook s-c-h-o-c-h at yahoo.com to find out more yes, sir! now we're being joined by scott mcneil better known as gus or gus macker from the gus macker tournaments if you're not familiar with what the gus macker tournaments are i played them as a teenager growing up in southeast michigan they're three-on-three basketball tournaments played in downtowns or um, or parks or sometimes uh, at the, the university where I used to play at Oakland University quite a bit. So, Scott, thanks for taking the time to join us here on Lockdown Pistons. Thanks, man. We really appreciate you having us on. So the big one coming up, it's the 45th anniversary of the start of the Gus Macker three-on-three tournaments, and I wanted to have you on because you got the original tournament, and there's going to be a little bit of a celebration for you guys August 4th and 5th in Belding, Michigan. So why don't you tell us what you guys got planned for the the big weekend, or the big week, I guess. Yeah, for uh, those out there that don't know, Belding is our our home headquarters in downtown Belding. And we've been here since 1987. The first 13 years from 1974 to 86 were played in my parents' driveway in the streets around their house in Lowell. Then we moved to Belding, so everything's been hubbed around Belding. And we started at our 25th with a every five-year tradition to bring out our Hall of Fame and to have, uh, we basically have a Hall of Fame banquet on the evening of Thursday, the 2nd of August. Uh, That morning prior to that, we have something called a Macker Hacker Golf Outing. Um, During the middle of the week, the Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, um, is a Sugar Mel Sweet Shot Basketball Camp, and Sugar Mel is Malva McLaughlin that went to Central Michigan and is in our Hall of Fame. Um, 
And then the tournament is actually the 4th and 5th, which is Saturday and Sunday in Belding. And um, we play in the downtown streets like we do all over the country. But the five-year deal is we have a Hall of Fame. It's in a, in a semi-trailer now. And we traditionally induct a new five people or five groups. And we have five groups going in for the uh, 45th. And, and, and even though... We say five. My count should be a 45 exactly, but it's more in the low 50s because my count's always been off a little bit. But um, we've got people in the Hall of Fame that are pretty traditional to the Macker way of life, and it's an exciting week for us to even believe we could get to 45. <laughs> now, Scott, you touched on it. It started in the driveway, and much like uh, the story, I got the book sitting right here next to me, the, the Gus the Gus book that I bought at a used bookstore. Don Seco. Yeah. Yep, exactly. I got it sitting right next to me here. I'll, uh, I've read it, I read it many years ago. I'll crack it open again soon. But uh, what's the origination story? My, me and my friends have a similar one where we were in high school in spring break and started a two-on-two basketball tournament here in Royal Oak, Michigan, but uh, certainly not to the scale of the Gus Macker. Tell me how you guys got it started there in, in Lowell. Well, it's very similar to what you did as two-on-two. We couldn't fit more than three on our driveway on a team with my uh, – my parents' driveway in Lowell, and so um, during spring break, we were just tired of playing each other all the time, so we said, well, let's play each other, but let's play for money. So everybody put a dollar in. There's 18 kids on six teams of three, and the winning team would take the $18. And it was pretty simplistic, and where it got a little carried away is we did a draft of the players, the older guys. I'm, I got a younger brother, Mitch, who was a ninth grader at the time, and I was a junior, so we drafted players and kind of build up for a couple of weeks leading up to the event. And my mother was an executive secretary at the Amway Corporation, so she would type up a list of who got drafted by who and whether they paid their dollar and then a bracket behind it and stuff. And uh, um, everybody had a weird nickname, and my last name being McNeil, a lot of people would call me Mac, and a friend, Rick, Rick Thompson's in our Hall of Fame, gave me the name Gus on the front of Mac, and it was like one word for the longest time, Gus Macker. But anyway, weird nickname, and my mom, as she's typing up, didn't have a title for the thing, so she took my nickname and threw it on the top of it, and it's kind of been a tradition ever since that the thing kind of took off. We went from playing as friends for two or three years. It got up to 36 players and $36 and by the fourth year, we decided to, instead of draft people, let you bring your own team, and we'll play for trophies. It was getting a little rough for cash. Um, and that's when it got kind of crazy. In the late 70s, early 80s, it was kind of a Western Michigan hoop junkie's dream to come to my mom and dad's driveway and neighborhood. And it went from the driveway to three or four courts, and then three or four courts became 10, 20, and by the middle 80s, it was out of control, quite honestly. <laughs> and then, yeah, like you said, it, it just kind of grew over time. And uh, now we got uh, Michigan events coming up the rest of the season here. Midland, August 18th to 19th. Otsego, August 25th to 26th. And Sparta, which will be coming up on September 8th and 9th. Now, uh, Scott, is it has the tournament, uh, since I played it as a teenager, so, you know, 15, 20 years ago now, is it? grown over time in these last 10 20 years i see that there's plenty of tournaments now plenty of participation now or was there a little bit of a lull there that or was i just not paying attention yeah what so what took place in 
Matt, in our history here is the 90s for anybody doing this kind of a sport, and, and we're the originals. It, it kind of what happened in the middle of the 80s is Sports Illustrated in 1985 wrote the story on our event. It was a feature story done by Alexander Wolf, and it just blew us up into a national deal. I was a school teacher, and in 87, we started traveling the country. In the 90s, was phenomenal numbers in this event, like in all kinds of 3-on-3s. Everybody was having 3-on-3s, whether it was a Macker or whatever other kind of company or group running them all over the country. Um, but it got rough. There was a lot of, it was a call-your-own-foul type of thing like we had in the driveway, a pickup game. And the games got rough and the tournaments got a little rougher. So a lot of people kind of walked away because they had to go to work on Monday or what have you, and it was the people just playing for fun weren't as much involved. Um, but what's happened to us and allowed us to really live through that time is we went to registered officials on the games. So you no longer call your own files of violations. And we have a huge influx of kids' teams playing seven, eight, nine years old into their teens. I would say probably the biggest group is in that 10 to 15-year-old category. And so it's really helped us stay alive. But the tournaments aren't nearly the size of the 90s, but they're still closing down towns, and there's still a festival feel to them and a lot of family feel to them now. Yeah, that's great. And like you said, uh, August 4th and 5th is the big uh, hometown celebration, the Belding Tournament. And uh, you can still, as you listen to this on Monday, you can still get your registration in at Macro.com, right? Yeah, through midnight on Monday the 23rd, you can still register to get into the Belding event. Um, I'm hoping that we get to 500 teams. Uh, Matt, our big one was 92. Kind of put it into perspective, there's uh, 5,400 teams, just shy of 5,400 teams in Belding in 1992 at this tournament. So the size of the events are a lot different, but if you walk up on them, you'd still think it was a big deal. 5,400 teams at one tournament in Belding? Yeah, we had about, they estimated over each of three days, 100,000 a day were here, and 25,000 of them were basketball players. Where did you... Where did you stick all those courts? What was the weirdest place that you put a court in Belding? Oh, we had them down too. Well, the weird part is you would come to this town of Belding, which has um, an older mall-type setting on their main street, and then they have parking lots around it. So we'd play those parking lots, and we'd play the business streets, but then we'd go down in the neighborhoods. So you'd have three to four blocks of courts in neighborhoods up and down right in front of people's houses. So it's fairly unique. That's but unbelievable. Anywhere we could put a court. I think we estimated our court count at 319 courts, which was crazy to run. That, that's an insane That's an insane amount of courts. I just think about the logistics. Hopefully it didn't rain that weekend, too. Um, there's different times in the late 80s, early 90s, where rain, we, we got nicknamed the Woodstock of basketball because there's times where it was it felt like you were – you had to play around raindrops and so forth. So it was interesting, but uh, it, it's not, like I say, nearly that big now, but you would feel in most of these smaller towns that we were in, there's just a real nice feel to it in a lot of families, and there's all ages playing. Still adults play, but it just feels like the kids' area is the one that's really built up over the years.
Yeah, I can remember sitting through a lightning storm in. We went inside the Oakland University uh, arena before the new the new arena. Uh, probably was about 1994, or 1995 that we were sitting there waiting out a, a rainstorm, and then had a a bunch of quick games after that to catch up on the schedule. But uh, Scott, I saw on the news coverage this year that this year's Gus Macker tournament that was at Central Michigan had uh, Chris Kamen playing, the former NBA player. Who are some of the other big names that have played? during their playing days or maybe even before they were famous that you know about? Well, the ones that, like, I played in Peoria, Illinois, and Peoria is a huge basketball hotbed, but um, Sean Livingston, the plays for the Warriors, um, a huge macro player as a kid, right up to when he was a lottery pick. A few weeks after he was picked in the lottery, he was playing in our macro, so... Um, had a lot of NBA play. Draymond Green played as a kid in Saginaw. Uh, Chris Webber, Steve Smith, they talk now and then on their NBA broadcast and stuff about playing in the Macker. Um, just had a lot of famous players after they were players, and a lot of them as they were kids or coming up through the NBA ranks. Um, so just kind of um, Andrew Wiggins I can think of in Ohio. So there's just different pockets of the country where – you know, NBA players or fairly recognizable names in the college game played in our tournaments. Is there kind of a go-to story that you have over the years? Was it maybe picking up that Sports Illustrated or uh, uh, seeing a certain person at the games where you thought, oh my gosh, this thing has really blown up beyond our wildest imagination? Is there kind of a we-have-arrived moment that you have? Yeah, the arrived moment is the 85 85- Sports Illustrated article. Actually, Alexander Wolf came because he liked playing pickup ball and was writing books around the country about pickup ball and so forth. So he came to play and write the story at the same time. So he came in 84. They decided not to put it out until the week of our event in 85. So the event's on a Saturday and Sunday, but Sports Illustrated comes out on a Monday. We walk out of the house to do our opening ceremonies, which... You know, there'd be a lot of people there. We couldn't even get out to the court because you had CNN, Wide World of Sports, ABC World News. <laughs> uh, everybody wow. was there, and the crowds and the cameras and all that were like, oh, my gosh, what the heck happened? <laughs> and that's kind of probably one of the reasons why um, the community, the neighborhood in Lowell probably thought it was getting a little bit too big because it was getting a little out of control and numbers-wise, we just didn't have a place to go. And so if you lived five blocks, if you lived in the neighborhood in Lowell, you had to like park five blocks away to walk to your house. So it was getting out of, it was just crazy. So those moments are, yeah, you know, you just can't believe it happened kind of thing. And that that was a a big time. There's a lot of those in areas where there's as you get older in this kind of sport, Matt, you just tell us stories a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As you travel around the country, you feel like a gypsy or a roadie <laughs> in a bad rock rock band or something. And you just so you have stories that just go on and on. But that's one of the ones I can remember the most is walking out of the house and going, "Oh my gosh, you can't even get out to the opening ceremonies. Where are all these people coming from?" <laughs> <laughs> the Gus Macker uh, trio, I guess you could call it, or the the band, the band name kind of going forward. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but- definitely. But, Scott, what's kind of looking ahead? What's the future bring for you got some new locations coming in 2019? Or have you thought much about the 50th anniversary coming up? I know a little bit, little bit down the road there. But what's the, uh, the future hold for Gus Macker? 
Well, one of the things is to get by the landmark of 45 is huge, and we're shooting for 50. Um, I'm in my early 60s now, and so I get a lot of people ask. They don't ask me any longer, when are you going to retire? They want to know what your exit strategy is. That's a <laughs> comment today. <laughs> and so my dream has always been to make it to 50. So, I, I mean, it'll keep going on, um, and I assume I'll be involved one way or the other, but I may not be as putting up the hoops like I made today or do things that are crazy where I'm still every weekend going. But um, uh, my goal is to get the 50, and I think that would be a great a great thing for us. And we've got a lot of cities, especially in Michigan and that southeast part of the state where you guys have a lot of your hub. Uh, there's just a ton of interest right now. So I would be surprised if you know we don't have 15 to 20 tournaments even in Michigan alone. But my goal is at 50 to have 50 solid tournaments around the country at that time too that'd be great and check it out at macker.com for all the list of all the tournaments like we said the august 4th and 5th the big uh, 45 year celebration in belding you got till midnight tonight as you listen to this to go online and register your four person team uh all all ages all sorts of everything just three on three uh driveway basketball like you played growing up uh it was a big part of my teenage years and uh i'm gonna play in the one at some point maybe i'll get over to belding this year i'll check my schedule but sometime soon i'll be out in the court probably embarrassing myself as a now 35 year old but check them out on twitter too gus macker three on three facebook gus macker basketball as well scott mcneil any parting words for the locked on pistons listeners i would just tell you in those oakland u events my brother went to oakland u and those events got as big as 2500 teams at one tournament it was crazy well, one of them was mine, and I think we got the Sportsmanship Award and just uh, finished out of the trophies because we had three people, and it was sweltering heat after that uh, that rainstorm. So just three of us, no subs. And as fifth graders, I think we uh, went through the, the loser's bracket and almost got the third-place trophy but won the Sportsmanship Award anyway. Well, congrats, I'm sure, I'm sure that's glad. one of the big memories that you guys have. Of uh, Well, when we get to the Hall of Fame thing, we should put you as an honorable mention. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Sports <laughs> quite gets me up to there, but I appreciate the consideration nonetheless. Scott McNeil, <laughs> Gus Macker, thanks for joining us here on Lockdown Pistons. Thanks, Matt. Really appreciate it. Andre Drummond getting bold on social media lately. Here's some of the rundowns of what he's been doing on Twitter and Instagram in response to a meme out there that's uh, from Thunder fans saying that Steven Adams would average the most rebounds in the league if he didn't play with Westbrook. Andre Drummond responds, no chance, with the dot, 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 dot afterwards, shutting that argument down in his mind. And also on Instagram, one of the Celtics fans, Instagram, says Jalen Brown is what the Pistons thought Stanley was going to be, LOL. Andre Drummond responds, exactly, Stanley is better. Saying that Stanley Johnson better than Jalen Brown. Hey, remains to be seen. Maybe Stanley Johnson's better days are ahead of him with Dwayne Casey coming on board with the Detroit Pistons. Another person on Twitter, Gordon Hayward, Stan, hashtag KOK4. I'm not even going to pretend to know what that means in uh, or Celtics uh, Twitter lingo, but Horford greater than Drummond, according to that uh, tweet. And Andre Drummond responds, let's not get carried away now. He says about the fellow all-star big man in the Eastern Conference. And then Andre Drummond on his uh, Instagram story says, with the uh, laughing and crying emojis saying, I struck some nerves today. Y'all are salty 
over my opinion, and I still stand by it. I saw another one come up just now on Twitter. He's going back and forth with a Celtics fan saying that uh, the reason for the stat disparities between Jalen Brown obviously having a lot better counting numbers than Stanley Johnson's because he's getting more playing time, more opportunities to make mistakes and not be taken out of the game. Try again. Jeff J. Mull 000 responds, more playing time on a better team, typically a solid indication of superior ability. Andre Drummond comes back with the a little bit of a slap at a SVG saying, or a player who has a coach that didn't believe in playing younger players a lot. So the obvious uh, storyline of Stan Van Gundy not trusting the young players, not trusting the rookies maybe as much as he should have or as maybe as much as other coaches do is something that bled into the locker room that the players acknowledged as well, not just us here on the outside. So heating up that Drummond versus Celtics rivalry, we know that Andre Drummond has played really well against the Celtics, especially throughout his career. He's uh, gaining confidence, and he's going out there on social media. He's maybe becoming uh, a little bit more of a star, being a, he made the second all-star team of his career this year, and maybe he's getting that attitude, which could be a good thing or, or possibly maybe could be a bad thing for the Pistons and Pistons fans going forward. But Andre Drummond not shy about how he feels about his team, his teammates, some of his friends with the Pistons as well. And uh, we will see if the team rallies around that and uh, maybe follows Andre Drummond a little bit more as a leader going forward for better or worse. So that's that, and we'll keep an eye on Andre Drummond and everything else NBA-related, off-the-court related, as we got a lot of time to sift through a lot of this stuff as July closes soon and into a, a dead August that we anticipate here on the NBA calendar. But stay with us on the dead August. We've got some plans these next few weeks, some exciting guests that I'm back and forth with trying to arrange a time to sit down with. But um, that'll do it here for the Locked on Pistons podcast. This is your boy Matt Shook, the host. And uh, thanks for joining us, everyone, and have a great start to the week. Mm-hmm.